Welcome back, folks, to episode 32 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in Health Psychology, Licensed Professional Counselor, and an adjunct professor at a local community college. And what we're going to be discussing on this podcast is going to be fear. Also, the biology of fear, the constructs that go along within our fear response, and also well, what does science have to say about what we call fear? Well, we'll develop some insight about what goes on whenever we experience fear, per se, as a state of body, and also how we can also experience this as a state of mind. That uh, is one of the things that differentiates us from the lower animals, so to speak, but uh, definitely something to be noted. So, to start off with, what I'd like to mention is that uh, fear, we do recognize as a cross-cultural thing amongst human beings, but in the whole world, all animals, all creatures, even those simple creatures, have pain withdrawal reflex whenever pain occurs. But do they have fear is a question that biologists and uh, anatomists ask. But uh, whenever we take into consideration our our human sense of having higher cortical process and thinking, we often attribute that fear response to them in what some would say would be an anthropomorphic uh, sense because uh, they say, those that are deeply into biology, that they can't have feelings like that. Well, if there's pain withdrawal, I know that I've noted some animals and creatures that have a very basic, but a socialized understanding of what to fear that may be learned. Uh, if there is a dog around and there are a group of cats and one cat that has a run-in with dogs, but the kittens have not, they may not be apt to have that response. But seeing mother respond that way or neighbor respond that way, they may also respond in fear or what we would call the fight-flight response, but not necessarily in quotes what we would call fear, because fear often is thrown about as a socialized learned behavior or understanding. Now, there are some theories out there about what fear is. They've been around for a while, but uh, some of the ones that I want to kind of point out are, and, and they are not so far from what we've discussed so far uh, in this podcast, but I'll start with one of the first categories, and that's the motivation personality theory saying that five types of fear Evolutionary, ang evolutionary danger, novelty, intensity, learning, and social. These are some of the aspects within personality and motivation that will allow us to, or encourage us to move away in what we would call a fear state. Um, neurofunctional, that means that there are two systems. One is fear, the other one is panic. And that really does sound quite like what we would call the fight, flight, freeze response. So saying that this is neurofunctional, meaning that it is a perceptual signal that we're taking in from whatever environmental stimulus. And then we have the adaptive evolutionary. Fear is an instance of more basic and broader survival system. And that means that it is a more integrated system beyond just the stimulus and response. But uh, it is an adaptive thing. And it has to do with not maladaption would be you lay down and let, let yourself be the bologna sandwich, of course. But uh, basic emotional says that fear is a small set of basic emotions, which are, which are cross-cultural. Culture indicates that this is a higher human thing. 
and also one that has to do with interaction, social interaction, that has to do with valuation of an individual, and also somewhere where there is judgment, adjudication of danger, but also kind of implies that it's a learned thing, that we learn how to be afraid. And there is some fact to that. I wouldn't say perfect truth, but there is something to think about there whenever we see this in families where certain people fear certain things and it's kind of passed along as a bad thing, so therefore you learn how to behave as if, even though you may not, have that elicited internal physiological response. Uh, one of the modular options is uh, phobias to snakes, spiders. So modular would mean more specific uh, to reflect the operation of modules, which would mean certain fears to specific stimuli. Snake uh, could be a spider, arachnophobia could be uh, fear of things that are irrational, like the number 13, this or the triscodecophobia, among other things. But uh, another modular type would be pain, predators, and conspecific aggression. And those are three types of fears. So nonspecific aggression, rather. So whenever we're looking at pain and predator, uh, predation has to do with our immediate sense of am I the bologna sandwich, which I talk a whole lot about, and that's that ability to recognize and differentiate within that 150 to 300 millisecond stimuli, wherever that signal splits off, goes to our prefrontal cortex, and we make sense and say, hey, that fight's not for me, I better go, or wow, that looks tasty, I'm going to eat that, or otherwise, and our other options, of course, can come as a result of the stimulus being a little slower than the 300 milliseconds where we can reason our way through by identification, naming, labeling, this sort of thing. Uh, one of the dimensional options here as far as uh, theory goes is that fear is one location in a two-dimensional space of arousal and valence. Arousal meaning that excitatory fight-flight response and valence meaning um, the valuation of that stimulus as it is it dangerous to me. Is it beneficial to me? Can I mate with it? Can I eat it? Or is it something that frightens me so much that I freeze? So it's simplified down to two aspects that would give one a core response to that uh, fear stimulus. And finally, uh, we have another dimension. Well, it's not finally, but almost. Fear is one location in a two-dimensional space of reward and punishment having to do with the approach of void, the hedonic response. And I think that the last one having to do with being in in a space of fear having to, that has to do with arousal and valence well, how important is it to me is coupled with the second one that was about approach and avoid is it tasty can i eat it is there a reward or is it going to punch me is it going to hurt a uh, very simple hedonic response i think those two probably could have been lumped together but uh social construct the experiences of fear in humans is constructed from the core affect this is what i talked about earlier whenever we discuss sometimes Fear can be a learned social thing where we see people respond to things in a fearful manner without understanding. And we can elicit the behavior. And at some point, if we do it enough and we hear enough about it being such a bad thing, uh, animals being uh, unable to suggest themselves into fear, but by stimulus can respond to it. But whereas humans, in contrast, can give themselves a suggestion of fear, I should be afraid and therefore respond in a an aroused, fearful, avoidance state, then 
we can actually cause somebody in a social sense to respond to fear based on something that doesn't exist or hasn't existed or maybe is misunderstood and it has become a learned tradition of sorts, a misunderstood tradition that is empty and has no life or used to when they understood why we feared that. And maybe it's something that we have to think a little more deeply into if it is such a thing. So fear, uh, the way we theorize about it, still has much of the biological, physiological stuff that we've been discussing in the Running Man self-regulation skills project here, because by understanding that we do have these things going, we know that it's not our thinking that goes first, but rather it's our body taking in that stimulus that determines whether or not it's a make-safe situation or make-sandwiches situation. We're safe. We can sit and we can rest and digest and hang out and just kind of enjoy each other's space and time. So those are some really important details that help us understand what goes on with fear. And also it gives us a little bit of room to understand that it's much more complex than just merely being afraid or being afraid you cat. And I'm going to throw some terms out there whenever people I've heard <laughs> clinically and also people that I've met that misunderstand and think themselves to be very brave because they did not urinate in their pants whenever they were faced with war or being beat or hurt. And also whenever people did not understand that they were terrifying their own children and in parenting situations that they were having uh, an enuretic or, or an encopretic response because of the fear they induced in their own baby that was all of, of 18 months, and they were having this tantrum of anger because they made a mess, not knowing that that was induced. Um, it was shocking to them once it was pointed out. And uh, these are some important things to recognize that whenever we have symptoms of that extreme stress, sometimes we do have the bowels and the bladder release, and we have that terror-stricken look, and we freeze and we shake. And uh, not often do we have that run and hide aspect or the fight aspect immediately when we're that small versus a very large individual or predator for that matter. Uh, we understand that that is a physiological reflexive state, a non-conscious uh, response to taking care of the body somehow, and it may not work so well. And it has nothing to do with the valuations. We give it as a social individual where we hear words like coward, uh, chicken, yellow or the old term having a yellow stripe down somebody's back this sort of thing as it was shown in cartoons many years ago when i was a child and it was to be made fun of and shamed and guilted and uh, there are many that have come back from war that were able to fight back that i've spoken with in person and in private and uh, i never would dare shame them because they were able to fight with their unit but also knew that they were in such terror that they defecated in their pants in war. And no one ever says, oh, that's dishonorable or not allowed. Uh, whenever there's war, there aren't any rules. All the rules go out the window. And this is what survival is about. And we have to recognize that our body is made for such situations, not just war. But whenever it's survival, there aren't any guidelines or laws on the books. There aren't any bits of information that will save you. It's about how physiologically to get away from what it is that's causing you pain, discomfort, fear, terror, so you can survive into the next moment. And all those guidelines and rules only come up when we're 
in a space of safety when our assumption of safety is met and we can put on the coat or the guise of civility and, and sociality wherever those rules come along with that, where we have to recognize those rules again. But when we have a run-in with such an event, our eyes are no longer the same. We know that at any point in time, all others, including ourselves, can shed ourselves that co- of that coat of, of social norm, of sociality and acceptance, that mask of the polis, that very thing that Miyamoto Musashi in Book of Fire Brings, I, I mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts, that being able to see through the social veneer and seeing that we're all quite capable. doesn't mean that we're going to hack off and start hurting people immediately, but the potential's there. And if we know that, we're always aware, not half expecting it, but just knowing that it's there. And it gives us a sense of not only strength and safety when we move, but also puts us in a state of calm, knowing that it's there, versus being taken by surprise whenever we think, I know them, I could never have seen them do this. Well, I can't believe that person did that. I don't believe that. They're just such nice people. Speaking from the slightly above the survival level, uh, that socialized, entitled sense of this couldn't happen to me versus knowing the potential and then realizing and looking a little deeper at the situation, knowing that we have limitations to whatever stresses we can take as an individual. And fear not only happens, but it's a reality as a result of the fact that our body is made for simpler times. But yet, even in these modern times, we need it. How many times do we hear about people being mugged? How many times do we hear about people being in shootings or being run down or being assaulted? It still happens today. Silicon wireless technology has not protected us against any of the potential for that sort of danger. And it's not because we're miserable human that we're bad. That's part of our necessary response or else we wouldn't be around. Some of the world's religions that were about complete passivity do not exist as a result because they were so passive they were overtaken by those that were able to make war. Not that war is a virtue, it is not. It is a default. But also it can be used to overcome and if we recognize that, then we can put ourselves in a real position of safety, personal power, centeredness and by development of resilience a a place where we can exhibit and and share peace from a point of strength not from a point of lack or one wherever we follow the rules because we don't have the power to make change but rather from a point of strength recognizing that we have not only strength but the capacity to overcome and in that can we be truly peaceful and non-aggressive and also helpful to others versus whenever somebody is weak and they're putting on the guise of civility, but yet whenever nobody's looking, they're incapable or unwilling to do the right thing, so to speak. So just some deep thoughts on that. So as far as uh, fear and regulation of fear, what are some things that we can do to help control what it is that goes on whenever I feel a sense of Fear response, well, one of the first things is use your perception. Whenever we use our peripheral vision and even our foveal vision to the front, being able to read your environment as you go on. This does not mean tense. This does not mean go in with your shoulders rolled back and your chest puffed out and acting as if you're a big bad this and that, or that you're not to be trifled with. Sometimes just being centered and aware 
keeps people from being the predator. Often predators look for those people that are distracted with their cell phones or overly alone and not aware or somebody does not keep their head on a swivel, so to speak, where they're looking left and right and viewing and scanning left to right. That is not paranoia. Once again, that is information gathering that encourages your safety in an environment, especially when it's particularly uh, volatile or where there are a lot of people. So these are some really important things to pay attention to. Now, whenever we have an increase in affect regulation, how we feel and how our emotions are, usually there is a decrease in complexity in the environment. So the fewer things going on, the easier it is for us to manage how we feel about stuff. But if we have a whole lot of complexity, what many people after a situation would call chaotic or chaos, then this is where we're unable to manage what our emotions are because every stimulus is eliciting an emotional response and therefore kind of eliciting an expectation of negative because we have ambiguity. We have a sense of unsure, also a sense of a risk that's going on that I can't uh, ascertain is something I can manage or not. So due to that, often the higher the complexity, the less emotional regulation, but also the less uh, sensitive we are to the changes going on in the environment because it's too much information. Many people prize themselves on being really good at multitasking. I'm sorry, but the science is in. You've deluded yourself into thinking that you're actually doing something really well whenever we've done many things rather crappily. So uh, that's what science says. And that's kind of what I say as well. So I'm going to ride on that bandwagon just for kicks and giggles, of course. So expectation is an important thing. We discussed the fact that we are not only predictive machines in the sense of the way our mind makes sense of environment, but also expectation builders. Based on what we perceive, we tend to predict and try to determine what's going to come next. And that actually kind of helps us strategically to avoid and to prepare and help us to think our way through things. If we kind of know what's going on, we can kind of have prepares like developing a script for what's going to happen, almost like a presentation. Same thing with our day-to-day environmentals. But observational learning of fear is one of the things that increases whenever the complexity goes up. We tend to really hang on to things and tend to over value them as a learning point and we tend to be more apt to see things and believe things to be a certain way depending on how strong that emotional charge is often that will happen the more complex the environment the higher the dysregulation then we have that increase of suggestibility and also the development of an ability to adopt a belief based on how things look versus how they actually are. And this is something I've been reiterating throughout the entirety of all the podcasts. And this is very biologically supported and uh, studied. So just some important things. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying that science backs what it is we're discussing. But uh, there's also some things that I wanted to mention as far as, well, what do I see? How do I act? What kind of things do I see when I have an increase in anxiety and also depression? Also that sense of helplessness or fear. Well, there's some things that we see that are kind of repetitive and strangely common from animals to humans as well. And we are the human animal. We're the the highest animal um, on the earth, so to speak, according to science. But, uh, of course, science is fallible. And I've seen some pretty smart dogs and cats out there. And, yes, I'm trying to insult a few of you jokingly. But uh, the fact of the matter is we share some traits with them. 
And uh, one of the things that we do note is that whenever we're in fear or running, not unlike a mouse, we tend to avoid open field. Uh, if we're hiding, we're trying to isolate and avoid bright open areas and prefer a secure space. Could be a nest, a little hole, could be somewhere where I feel holed up and wherever all my sides are protected because those are now assumptions of safety because the walls aren't going to uh, attack me. My ceilings and my walls and my floors can't attack me, but the opening, that's where the attack may come from if I'm trying to defend myself. So we try to minimize potential and narrow it to a bottleneck of information. So this is something that we see with animals that we do as well. Uh, we also note that uh, whenever we are alone and under stress, we tend to avoid uh, open spaces and try not to go into areas that would seem maze-like or wherever we might see a door or opening into, let's say, a mall with hallways. We probably try not to do that. It's something that we'd probably be really apprehensive to do, and then our stress would probably go up as we know that our vision to our peripheries are going to narrow if we're going into a hall, for instance. Um, we also reduce how often we interact with people. We, we don't like being around. We tend to have that isolating factor once again. We also have a reduction in eating. Often people talk about having stomach upset when we have anxiety and when we're angry or whenever we just finish running. Blood flow is not in the intestine and stomach area at all. It's in the skeletal muscles, and it takes a moment for us to cool for the blood to redistribute. Once again, the hemodynamics of activity and cognition, our, our brain is not at its best at that point until things start to settle down. Also, uh, we are probably less apt to move into open spaces. Also, we may have an increased startle response, but we may note that there are certain behaviors that, that will increase in, as well. And uh, what is funny is that burying behavior, sometimes whenever we see somebody nervous in the home or in homes and rooms, I've seen this in, in hospitals too, that uh, there are things that we look at that are kind of obsessive compulsive behaviors that are like uh, folding socks. And this isn't always a drug induced thing, but also it could be just a little busy work just to express that, that that energy, but it's not just about releasing the energy, but a sense of creating a security or safety or developing a ritual that hopefully will bring about a relief that makes no rational sense and doesn't even make the greatest of sense to the individual, but there's a relief of sorts that comes from the obsessive compulsive behavior. It could be hand washing, cleaning, but the burying and, and nesting type behavior that we'd see, not unlike with a pregnant individual, uh, we would note that we see people with anxious and panic states, even fear states, doing things that look like tucking and folding and rolling and trying to find a place or state of respite or relief from the discomfort they're experiencing. And uh, we realize that it's not just a thinking process, but there's a physiological process going on. Now, this is going to be the last part I'm going to add. And whenever we discuss um, stress and anxiety, we have to note that there is a physiological state that's going on within the biological behavior and the psychological thinking and the sociological interaction that drives this before it's ever spoken. It's a state of feel or being. And this is where we note that there's a differential in carbonic gas or carbon dioxide to oxygen ratio whenever people start to pant and breathe fast and they're not moving physically and they start having hypervent or hyperventilation. The body becomes more acidic in that acidosis state 
is what causes the discomfort, but also there's that sense of panic that may set in if it goes too high, where we have the hot hyperventilation going on. Often these are things that go along coinciding with the behaviors and increase as the behaviors start to increase and the fear increases, and also the anxiety panic state increases. If these things are chronic, that's what we start seeing, not just in animals, but in humans as well, what we would call the learned helplessness that uh, eventually can turn into a long-term depression, a depressing state of body that eventually reaches in humans the depressed thoughts within the psychology of a depressed human. So these are just some things I wanted to touch upon today just to add a little science to what it is that we've been doing. And the biology of fear is well studied and is still evolving. And even with all the fMRI imaging, we still cannot get a handle on how to stop this. Now, there are some procedures that have to do with an injection to a certain ganglia in the neck that require a ultrasound that are being used. And those are wonderful things for people that have PTSD, for instance. But the limitation is that it's clinical. You have to go in uh, and see the doctor. And it's not something that helps you whenever the poop is hitting the fan at that point in time. But uh, even though there are limitations, there are those that have that benefit. And they have to go in for several injections sometimes uh, of a numbing uh, medication to that ganglia in the neck, and they have great effect. And the limitations, once again, are the fact that it's clinical. You have to see a doctor requires an injection. And also, uh, it's not something that you can do by way of self-regulation, but it is something that is useful that, that might bring about some interesting developments as we move forward. And I certainly hope that we do. So with that said, I just want to say thank you for your time this evening. Saturday evening, and we actually had a cool fall morning in the 50-degree Fahrenheit range this morning. And I don't know what it is in centigrade. Sorry, folks. But uh, I do want to say thank you for listening. I'm hoping this is helpful. Follow, like, and share. Share this with people you think may benefit from uh, the podcast. And also, if you have any feedback or anything to say, say hello. Send it to me at the email of runningmangetskillsproject at gmail. Take care. Fear not. Walk well.